Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers, as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So as a reminder, you guys can always ask questions on the page. You can either post them and I can approve them, or you can also just email me any questions you have at DanaJFryerNutrition at gmail.com. Always happy to get those posted. So the first one we have to talk about is one that we probably get like every week, if not every two weeks. Um, and so this is a question out of Inman and there's lots of juicy stuff in here. So we'll, we'll go over it. So it says, the, what is the labor cost per meal? Total food purchase is $32,123. Total cafeteria sales is $23,231. And total labor expenses are $25,000. $790 and then meal equivalent factor is $2.15. Total patient meal served is $1,923. And so this type of question, the biggest mistake people are going to make is they're going, oh, total food purchase. I'm just going to divide that by my labor expenses and then we're good to go. So anytime you're getting these questions that say cafeteria sales or meal equivalents, what I want you guys to do is to make sure you remember that our kitchens are making food for our patients and they're making food for also like the cafeteria, right? Like I eat my lunch at work every day. They're, make it, they're making food for me. And so if we don't get organized in this question, it can be really, really difficult um, to kind of figure out what we wanna be doing. So there's a few different steps in this question. So the first thing is we need to be taking our cafeteria sales, which is just for like me buying lunch, which is my $23,231. I'm saying that's what I'm making in sales. And then I need to be dividing that by my $2.15 because that's my meal equivalent. So I'm saying each meal is about this amount. So that's telling me that from my cafeteria sales, I'm getting 10,805 meals just from the cafeteria. And then I'm adding that together with my patient meals, which was 1,923 to get my total meals, which is 12,728 meals. And then right when I come up for breath and I go, what did this question want? I, what is the labor cost per meal? So my numerator is gonna be the total labor cost which is gonna be my 25,790 divided by those total meals, 12,728, and that's where I get my $2.03. So again, this is a great math one where like you see it and you're like, oh shoot, I don't wanna do this. So again, you need to be thinking about what is the information that is useful for you here? and labeling it as well. And on these questions, remember that we're in the cafeteria, we're also doing the patient meals. So seeing the fact that 
you know, you're talking about cafeteria as well, should clue you in to say, I need to solve for cafeteria and then also patients. You also see this kind of go the other way around. There's one question um, that I ask in my math boot camp class, and it's saying, you know, like total meals sold this week is like 2012, and then it tells you your patients, and it's like 205, I forget exactly the number. Um, and then what you need to realize is that the 2012 are cafeteria meals because if you take the patients times three times seven, the total meals in the week are way more than the 2012 that are reported in the week. So the 2012 are from the cafeteria and then you have to solve for the patient meals as well. So don't forget that the cafeteria is doing, well, the kitchen, I mean, is doing lots of different things. So definitely give that one a shot if you didn't already. We are really feeling the math this week. So we have one from Megan. And so this is another style of question that I like to ask a lot in my math classes as well. So it says a food service has 35% labor costs, 23% fixed costs, and a desired profit of 12%. Given a raw food cost of $4.55, what is the selling price of the item when rounded up to the $1.99? And so this is a great question because you read it and you're like, what? But this is really why you guys need to be good on your equations. And like I said above, if this is a trouble area for you, definitely head to my website and go to the recorded courses and check out the math bootcamp. It's going to help you tremendously with this. And so what you want to do first when you get this type of question, you're like, Dana, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do on this. You need to think, what topic is it in? And so... This is a selling price question. So I have three different types of selling methods. So I have prime cost, I have factor or traditional pricing, those are the same thing, and then I have cost plus pricing. So I need to think, well, which one am I using here? So how I like to think about it is when I see the percentages, I like to think cost plus because I have to plus all of those percentages up. So if I add 35%, 23%, 12%, that tells me that my percentage total is 70%. And what we wanna do here, and again, if you're like, this is so weird, Dana, why is it this way? This is just how the equation is. So I'm saying 70% is already accounted for. That means 30% would be available to be my food cost percentage. And in cost plus pricing, once I've found the food cost percentage, I take the raw food cost, which is 4.55, and divide it by 0.3 to get my selling price, which would be $5.17, but then it wants me to round, so I round up to um, $15.99. So with the selling prices, remember that you wanna be able to know each of these, and definitely if this is a trouble area for you, head over to the Facebook page. If you search in the search bar, um, selling pre selling methods study guide, I already have my free study guide posted up um, on the Facebook page. So definitely take a look on that. It's a really nice chart where you're just gonna be able um, to compare it, each of the different types of selling prices, the different components, the definitions, and then you're also going to be seeing an example too. And if you're listening on the podcast and you'd like that study guide, 
just shoot me an email at danajfryernutrition at gmail.com and I'll send it over to you. So next one we have is a question from Lori. So she says, if a patient is mechanically ventilated, then which type of nutrition support is appropriate? So if we think about what ventilation is, right? So ventilation, I have the intubation tube in my mouth into my trachea, right, to help me be artificially ventilated. So what you want to remember, right, is we have our trachea and then we have my esophagus. So a lot of these patients, when they're intubating them, they will also put what's called an OG tube or an orogastric tube. That's probably one of the most common things we see in the ICU. But the other way we're often feeding them too is with an NG tube because the benefit of this, and remember NG tube is nasogastric, and the benefit of this is if I have an OG tube in and I extubate, right, I take out the ventilation on the patient, I lose enteral access. So a lot of the time we'll put an NG tube because then even when the patient is extubated, you're going to still be able to feed them. So a big issue that I have in my cardiac step-down unit, which is right next door to the ICU and gets a lot of transfers, is they extubate the patient, lose enteral access because the patient had an OG tube, and then they give them to me and they're like, Dana, why aren't they eating? And I'm like, they still needed a feeding tube. Um, so we see OG, we see NG tube, um, definitely use in the ICU, because another thing to think about is those are short term feeding tubes. Now, you can definitely see a ventilated patient with a PEG or PEG-J, those longer term access, but again, it would only be appropriate if it was indicated. A lot of my patients who are on the floor who um, have tracheostomies, they'll often say like, oh, they're, the patient's getting like traked and pegged, which is when a patient is in the ICU and they're gonna need long-term ventilator support. So they'll end up putting a tracheostomy, but at the same time, they'll put a peg. So that's a common thing you'll see, like patients getting traked and pegged today, that means they're getting the tracheostomy. And then also a peg tube place because they need longer-term access, um, but primarily NG and then OG as well too. Okay, next one, we have another question from a student, looks like it's off pocket prep. So this one is saying, an adult patient who has an MCV result of 75, based only on this information, which of the following can you exclude as, um, as a diagnosis? And so this one is a little tricky because MCV, um, which is telling us the size of the, the red blood cell, is not necessarily a number that you need to kind of really, really know. But this question does share that a regular MCV is gonna be 80 to 99. So that's a piece of information that if you didn't know, you're totally fine. If you wanna write that down in your notebook and have that as a fun fact, you're good to go. So this question is really kind of asking us about anemia. And so what we want to be thinking about anemia, right, we have our microcytic and we have our macrocytic and then we have our normocytic too. And so when we go through these options, it's saying, okay, B12 deficiency, right, we can definitely, you know, have anemia from our at, right, that's going to be giving up, having us have macrocytic anemia. We have anemia of chronic disease. This is typically going to be our microcytic anemia, chronic renal 
a failure, this is typically, again, that chronic inflammation is going to be our microcytic anemia. Um, and then another thing to think about too is that iron deficiency can also cause microcytic anemia. And then iron deficiency is also gonna cause iron, um, sorry, microcytic anemia like we just said above. So even if I have no idea what a normal MCV is, I can answer this question by saying, wow, C, why am I going out of order? B, C, and D, those are all, I can tell you, microcytic anemias. The only one that is not is the first one, which would be macro. And so also kind of having that mobility in the topic and being able to say, well, that's the only one that's different. So even if I'm not sure what the normal MCV is, and honestly, I, I never use that in clinical practice, I can say, well, because I have three that are gonna be having a low MCV, right? That's the size. And only one that would require big. And this is saying, based on only this information, um, which of the following could you exclude from diagnosis? That's going to help me go, well, the only one that would not be the macrocytic would, I'm sorry, would, would not be the microcytic would be a B12 deficiency because that would 100% be macrocytic. So this is the type of question too that a lot of you guys can get and get frustrated. Like, how was I supposed to know this? I didn't know I had to know MCV, but I'm here telling you, you do not need to know MCV. You do need to know that MCV is looking at the size of the cell and knowing which ones are macro and which ones are microcytic too. And the anemias are definitely, um, definitely a great topic too to um, make a little make a little chart, um, make a little bit of a chart as well. Okay, so next one we have from Julia. She said, this one's saying glycerol, amino acids, and fatty acids will have the, what effect on the hypothalamus gland? And so we have increased satiety, decreased satiety. Um, and then we also have increase in activity level and decrease lethargy. And so what this question is really saying is that when I'm eating fat or protein, how is this going to affect me? And so the answer here is B because it's saying what well, these are the types of foods that are going to, you know, be helping us, you know, not, you know, necessarily be as hungry, but a lot of times we can see them having a decrease in satiety, meaning that we're going to not necessarily feel as full as we would if we're kind of having the larger structures of it, right? So like if I'm having fat or I'm having a complex fat, then we would see that increase in satiety. But just having like dropping glycerols and amino acids and fatty acids, just eating kind of really broken down things is not necessarily going to have um, an increase in satiety. So they, this one's saying, you know, could have a decrease in satiety. Again, the more important thing is to kind of know the bigger kind of piece of the picture that when they're really broken down, you know, they're not necessarily giving our stomach kind of like, you know, things to do if you want to think about in kind of like really simple terms of, you know, we know that like when you're eating, you know, 
like a lot of fiber or fat or protein, right? Our body has a lot of work to do. Um, but if you're eating things that are a little bit more simple, it's not a lot of work um, necessarily for your body to do. So I wouldn't, the student here was like, you know, I don't really know the mechanism and that's, to and that's totally fine um, too on that one. Again, kind of thinking just about the topic in general too. Okay, next one, we got a feeding tube question. So this one's saying a feeding, a tube feeding, I don't know why I can't talk, is running continuously at 80 milliliters per hour and providing 1,000 calories, 64 grams of protein, and 840 milliliters of water per 1,000 milliliters. The patient requires 2,000 calories and 35 grams of protein. And then it says, does the current rate meet the patient's estimated needs? So this is a great question because also you want to recognize that it's just giving it to you per liter. It's not saying this formula is giving this. So what you want to be doing is finding it per, like for the amount that it's giving the patient actually. I have to actually grab my calculator on this one. It's hiding from me. So the first thing I would do here is say, okay, it's running at 80 milliliters per hour times 24 hours. So the volume I'm getting is going to be 1920 milliliters. Perfect. So then I'm saying per liter, it's 1,000 calories per liter. That's one calorie per milliliter. So super easy math. I'm getting nine, sorry, I'm getting 1,920 calories from this. Perfect. Okay. What about grams of protein? So I'm getting 1.92 liters, and it's 64 grams per liter. So do that times 64, 1.92 times 64, and that's saying this is gonna be giving me 123 grams of protein. And then the water, it's saying it's 840 milliliters of water per 1,000 milliliters. So something to think about with that is that it's that's saying it's 84% water. So I take my milliliters of formula, 1,920 times 0.84, and I say that's giving me 1,613, we'll round up milliliters. So now I have that. Okay, then I'm gonna loop back to the question. So it says, does the current rate meet the needs? So this one in the options, are kind of saying like it does, it doesn't. So I wanna go one by one and kind of be saying yes or no. So it says, first one is no. The rate would need to be changed to 90 milliliters per hour to make, meet the estimated needs. So I'm like, okay, I wanna do this as quick as possible, let me see. So I'm saying, okay, yeah, you know what? This is too, you know, too low in calories by just a smidge, but too low in protein. So what I'd wanna do quickly is say, okay, well, if I ran it at 90, Okay, 90 times 24, that's gonna give me 2,160 milliliters. So we said that's 2,160 calories. And then to do protein quickly, I do 2.16 liters times 64. So that one would be 138. So that would be much better. So I'm gonna say, okay, for A, and I'm gonna put a check, like could be. Okay, let me just find out, okay, B, no, the rate should be changed to 85 to meet 100% of their needs. I'm like, okay, whew, okay, 85 times 24. So that would be 
almost close on the calories, 2,040, because remember, it's a one calorie per milliliter. Okay, let me check the protein. So it's going to be 2.04 liters times 64, and that gives me 130. That doesn't, that doesn't hit the protein, so it would definitely be better to do A. Okay, so B is out. Okay, C. Yes, the current rate meets the needs. We already said it does not, especially on that protein. So C is out. And D is yes, but the feed should be changed to a 12-hour cycle. Absolutely not, right? This is That rate at a 12-hour cycle is going to cut the calories in half. So this one, the best answer was the first one. No, the rate should be changed to 90 milliliters per hour to meet, um, to meet, the, expected, um, to meet the expected needs. Perfect. Okay, so next one, we got one from one of my students, and it was funny because I, I always say I have, like, themes, and, like, a lot of my students will ask, like, similar themed questions each week, and this one is definitely, like, a lipid TPN heavy week. So definitely, if this is a trouble area for you, look out for um, the nutrition support calculations class. That's going to be offered on the 17th of August at 8 p.m. Eastern time, but there will also be a recording too. So if you're watching this later or listening to the podcast, definitely check out my website for the class. So this one's saying a patient is in residential care receiving parenteral formula of D40W of 500 milliliters in one day. The number of calories delivered is what? So with this one, we need to first break it down. So D40W is dextrose, 40% in water. And then they're getting 500 calories per day. So, I mean, sorry, 500 milliliters per day. So what I want to do is I want to say, okay, if I'm getting 500 milliliters and 40% of that is going to be dextrose, how many milliliters, and it's like a one to one milliliters to grams is that? So 500 times 0.4 is saying it's 200 milliliters or 200 grams of dextrose then times three point times three point four calories per gram, and that's going to give you six hundred and eighty. And remember, with the TPN, I always recommend this one's a little bit more simple, but you want to kind of go, okay, what is my conversion? How many calories um, per gram? Or if you're thinking about fat, calories per milliliter. And remember, if it's saying D10, it's ten percent of the volume is dextrose. D40, ten percent of the volume is dextrose. D5. 5%. So you first find out how many grams and then kind of continue continue forward. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, Dana JF Nutrition. Dot com to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.